and welcome to another episode of the Transfer News Central podcast. A busy weekend of football as ever, lots of uh, big shocks actually across Europe and an, another really entertaining week of Premier League football as well. Uh, I'm joined by Zach Lowy again and Zach, you've been also quite busy this week and you've made a signing yourself, joining the uh, people at the Football Index. And uh, would you like to give a little plug about that to anyone who's listening? Yeah, I'll be on the Football Index podcast on Tuesday. Uh, really excited to start working with them, both in the podcasting and the writing department. And yeah, just keep an eye out for that next week. I was also actually you've, you've got a you're, you're obviously a co-founder of Breaking the Lines, and uh, you had a podcast out this week because I was having a little listen uh, to that, and that, that was also very good. So if anyone wants to see hear Zach more of Zach on Breaking the Lines podcasts, then. Uh, then have a look at that. Are you going to be doing that regularly as well, or was that more of a one-off thing, get the co-founder on? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I am going to be doing it regularly. I have uh, previously worked on a podcast with Connor Dunford, who is the host of that podcast, so we're definitely going to be doing that uh, more and more regularly, and I'm definitely really excited for that. Okay, so I mean, Zach, we know you have a huge fan base on Twitter, so I'm sure they'll be looking forward to hearing you on multiple occasions, as well as obviously uh, reading your work, uh, which you which you put up put up on social media for us to see. Um, but yeah, back to the, back to the football. Lots of things going on over the weekend, um, and you know, yesterday a very very um, you know action packed Premier League weekend as it as it always is. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't really know where to start. I guess a good place would be right at the very top. Um, two teams, Man City, Liverpool, showing that spirit and desire that you, you associate with title-winning teams. I guess you know we always re- think of Man City when they beat teams five nil and play this unbelievable football. Similar with Liverpool, I guess when they uh, absolutely trounce so, some Premier League teams. But we seem to forget that you know. Certainly, when Liverpool ran City close last year and when City won the league in the past two seasons, there were a lot of games that were 2-1, 1-0, because you can't play that kind of football all the time. And, you know, again, this season, we're seeing uh, the big boys showing a different facet to their game, being able to grind results out. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, this weekend, obviously, still got a day uh, more to go, but it hasn't been kind to bigger teams um, maybe that's just because of the fixture congestion sort of starts to take its hold both physically and mentally. But we saw just uh, today and yesterday, um, PSG lost to Dijon on Friday. Barcelona mm. lost to Levante today. Atletico Madrid drew to Sevilla. Real Madrid drew to Real Betis. Um, mm. Arsenal drew to Wolverhampton. And uh, yeah, so it, it really hasn't. Bayern. And of course, Bayern, Bayern, Bayern lost. Mm. Uh, they had their biggest defeat in ten years. Um, wow. to Eintracht Frankfurt losing five to one. So hasn't been that kind. And but while both Manchester City and Liverpool fell behind, putting themselves at the risk of the same fate, they managed to grind out uh, three points. And yeah, this definitely speaks to. Uh, both teams' ability to, well, Liverpool especially, because they've had so many games like that, but just to grind it out. Um, and that's definitely been one of the uh, 
one of the drawbacks for a lot of these teams, especially Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. I think I saw a stat saying that Atletico have not won um, a game since, like, won a league game since going behind since 2016. Maybe I got that one confused, but, I mean, it does speak to both teams' ability to uh, turn things around and um, make it count in the in the most clutch scenarios. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the, with the Atletico stat, I guess with Atletico under Simeone, they are certainly best when they're ahead because I imagine the counter stat to that would be that they don't give away many um, victories when they have a one-goal or two-goal lead because they are so well set up defensively. I mean, that's what Simeone yeah. is, is, is famed for. But maybe the other side of that is, where, of course, as you say, when they do fall behind, they have to sort of, well, they don't. They have to break, I suppose, a bit out of that shape because they are taking on on a deep block. Um, so I guess I guess that would be problematic for them. I mean, my team Burnley have a similar issue. I'm not right. trying to compare Burnley with um, with uh, with Atletico Madrid, but uh, Burnley when they go ahead, actually at home uh, or or sometimes on the road, are often very good at. They don't lose too many times when they go ahead. They sometimes maybe lose lose a few. Maybe they draw the game, but they don't lose too many times. But the, when the opposite happens and they fall behind, like we saw uh, yesterday against Sheffield United, when 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 they hit two and they hit the third goal, you just thought, you know, you couldn't really see that fight back because the the emphasis is often on the structure, the solidity of the team, and it's based on going ahead or staying in the game, maybe getting one goal, but not two or three. And I guess maybe you can apply that across the board to many teams uh, set up with a, a sort of structure-first uh, approach. But anyway, back to back to uh, the Premier League, of course. Um, I remember last week I was looking at some tweets and someone said that, I think, well, Liverpool drew 1-1 at Old Trafford and they said, oh, Jurgen Klopp, he lacks a plan B. Mm-hmm. He lacks a plan B. And I remember, I remember when Man City, I think, they lost... Uh, earlier in the season to Wolves and they said oh, Pep Guardiola he lacks a plan B he lacks a plan B this is you know that the, this is why they're dropping points I mean you know they, these are two teams that for the past season two se- well you know past few years they've been so consistent you know in terms in terms of picking up points I mean Liverpool maybe less so uh, Liverpool really started last season onwards um and and they they churn out win after win after win, occasional draw, occasional defeat, but they're always there. They're always setting the standards so high. Um, what it what is a plan B, Zach? What 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 do they, what do people mean by a plan B? Because some t- you can't. It's impossible to win every single game ever. And yet, if they drop points, suddenly they need a plan B. I mean, surely plan A is more than good enough for these two teams. I mean, yeah, but every single team needs to have a plan B, no matter what. I mean. Uh, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona was arguably the most dominant club side of this decade, and and even they had Plan Bs. Um, even if Guardiola was sometimes um, accused of being too stubborn at times, but yeah, and and yeah, of course they're not. They can't be expected to win every single game, but as we saw in in the case of well against Arsenal. Um, in in the in the game in the midweek fixture against Arsenal in the game a few week a few weeks back against United, um, they can get they can grind out uh good results in spite of having bad performances. 
I just think though, when we when we look at it though, and I know you say teams need a plan B, and I and I'm sort of trying to play a bit devil's advocate here because obviously you need to be somewhat unpredictable with tactics and think ahead of the game at times. But when people say there needs to be a plan B, when they were referring to Pep Guardiola at Man City a few years ago, they were saying plan B should be this Andy Carroll type centre forward right. where the balls are lobbed into the box and he's got to win the headers because you know they aren't creating as much on the floor. But obviously that that negates everything Pep Guardiola kind of stands for, doesn't it? And I suppose with Liverpool as well, they believe in what they do and 95%, 99% of the time, Plan A is, you know, it works to fruition. And I get your point. I think tactical tweaks during the game can be very helpful. And certainly Guardiola uh, and Klopp will will both know that and are both masters of that. But um, but I remember, I think Guardiola, when asked about having a plan B, said that he just wanted to do plan A better. So I guess what I mean is, is plan B a complete reversal of the football that you're trying to play or is plan B something a bit more cute tactically? What what would you define plan B as? Because I think many people, many fans who are calling for a plan B just see it as a hoofball, yeah. a hoofball to a big target man. Uh, whereas I think the plan B you're referring to is something a lot more cute, something maybe a substitution, maybe a slight tactical formation switch, but n- certainly not just lobbing the ball aimlessly into a big brute. Yeah. And plan B, um really depends i think on on the set of individuals as well as the coach um i mean city for example when they're in desperate situations they really often resort to uh crossing and and i think that's that's what we saw today with uh kyle walker getting the go-ahead goal really good ball wasn't it yeah for aguero um yeah, Aguero. Yeah. He gets to the byline, doesn't he? Drills a low ball across. Um, but again, crossing can be, you know, it, it, lots of you have. I think many, even the biggest teams have to cross. It's, it's it's a ball across, isn't it? It's an accurate ball across. Right. It's not just a hopeful punt, if you will. It, it's it's something that he sees Aguero gets to the byline, drills it really low across the box, and I suppose in that position you don't want anyone yeah. other than Aguero, do you? I mean, yeah, but it also does make you wonder how how much more effective this city team would be uh, in terms of executing their plan B if they still had a Negredo or a Dzeko. Um, mm. You know, that's mm. definitely something. That's If you could point out one weakness of this city team, it's probably that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and you also have to remember, um, well, for example, Barcelona – one of their plan Bs, as we saw against Inter Milan, for example, was was bringing off Arturo mm. Vidal off the bench, mm. um, and and that was certainly effective. Uh, plan B can really just be individuals taking control and proving why they are at the certain level that you know they they are currently establishing themselves at. I mean Liverpool. As good as they are tactically, they also have some of the best individuals uh, in football. Yep. And as we saw today, it's really just Sadio Mane proving why he's one of the best players in football. Because at the end of the day, tactics only mean so much if you don't have the players to execute them. And mm. on the contrary, uh, Dean Smith's tactics for his Aston Villa team can only go so far 
when you're going up against a player like Sadio Mane who can turn zero mm. points into three points. And they played really well, Aston Villa. Right. I mean, I was just I was watching some of the some of the highlights, uh, extended highlights, and they created you know a lot of openings uh, on another day. A bit of luck. They could have probably. I mean, he, Tom Heaton played really well as well. Of course, you'd expect him to make saves yeah. against um, one of the best teams in England. But you know, the, I, I, I mean, I said at the start of the season, Villa recruited really well, and people made the Fulham comparison. Yeah. I wasn't so. I didn't necessarily believe that some of the players they brought in were actually loan players, so they were used to how how the club set up. And I thought there was some sense. I mean, Tom Heaton from my club, Burnley. Really good uh, signing, you, you know. Knows the league really well, proven in the proven in the top division, um, and and I think they started a little bit slowly. I guess gelling and get get getting that chemistry. I guess, but they have some really talented players there, and it wouldn't surprise me if they had a. I mean, I, I'd, I'd hate to say avoided comfortably avoided relegation because there's so many teams in that in that sort of. That that horrible place where they where they could fall in, but you know the likes of John McGinn, Jack Grealish, uh, even El Ghazi, who's who's started sort of stepping up from the Championship now. Uh, Wesley's finding his feet. Uh, Douglas Louise, brilliant player who can't even nail down a player, seems to be in and out of the team. Tyrone Mings, colossus at the back when he keeps fit, and so far he has kept fit. Um, you know they've got they've got a really decent team, and, and and obviously Dean Smith is an Aston Villa supporter. Uh, he has been since he's a boy, so it's a really nice story to see him do so well with them. One of the things that bothered me when people made that comparison to Fulham is that uh, Aston Villa one they actually focused on their defense this mm. uh, summer, whereas <laughs> Fulham completely ignored it, and that was why you know no matter. Uh, what the coach you tried to bring in, you know, whether that would be Jovanovic or Ranieri or Scott Parker, there's only so much you can do when your center back op- options and your fullback options are so piss poor, which was the case with Fulham last season. Um, whereas you saw Aston Villa, you know, they brought in Gilbert in January, keeping him at Cayenne and, and bring him in the summer. Uh, they also brought in Bjorn Angles from. Uh, Rems, they brought in uh, Tyrone Mings from Bournemouth, Matt Target from Southampton, um, mm. and and so on and so on. You know, and also uh, wh- one thing that um, people also ignored is that Fulham this approach was quite scattergun. You know, sort of yes, yes. random names like Vieto and Sherla that looked good on paper but didn't really mm. have much sense. Um, Aston Villa, on the other hand. They targeted a lot of um, a lot of big time, uh, a lot of players who played a key role in their promotion push uh, last last season. And, and you have to remember that you know, Villa were not um, were not always favored for promotion going back to you know the first few weeks, um, first few months of that of that championship season. You know their January window definitely played a key part in it um and a lot of their spending last summer was just making those loan deals into permanent ones such as uh El Ghazi um Tyrone Mings you know so on and so on um so yeah I mean they will still struggle to stay up I think they will end up staying up but 
Mm. When you when you're looking at the Premier League, you know you got teams like Everton um, and Newcastle who are close to the relegation zone. Mm. Um, it's 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 hard, isn't it? Yeah. But you can certainly see them. I mean, if I ask you now, do you see Villa going down? You don't, do you? Because you you know that kind of performance against Liverpool. I mean, Watford were the probably the strongest surprise mm. team of last season, and you know, even despite their poor second half, they still got to a cup final. And now, mm. I mean, I think even most Watford fans would tell you, you know, they're going down. Mm. Well, again, a lot. Of, if you ask a, a lot of Watford fans at the start of last season how they would do, a lot, you know, there wasn't a serious investment in too many places, so they thought, you know, we'll do okay. I think it was a massive overachievement by Javi Grazia last year, uh, ultimately, which got him the sack at the start of this season because of how well he did last season. Yeah. I suppose that didn't help with uh, with how they started this season, but um, you know, again, I think. They made, I think they made one big signing this summer. I thought it was Saar, wasn't it? Saar. Yeah. They bought Saar for quite big money. But apart from that, I think they got Dawson in as well, Craig Dawson, who hasn't really um, had the uh, impact he may have wanted. But they they were sort of largely resting on their laurels, as you know. We got to a cup final. We finished high up in the division. Yeah. We could go again next season. But like you say, they tailored off quite a lot towards the end of last season. So it was almost like they were ignoring... Uh, maybe what was inevitable, and they're certainly paying for that at the moment. It's not looking too good for them. Although, I didn't think they played too bad against Chelsea yesterday, but then again, Ben Foster was also very, very good. And I mean, you go to Chelsea, look at Chelsea. Um, I mean, your countryman, Christian Pulisic, yeah. has um, gone from um, the shadows. Uh, people were saying, where's, where's Pulisic? What's happening? You know, I mean... Uh, he he wasn't really getting many minutes. He started the season quite well. Yeah. Did well. I thought he played well in the Super Cup. Uh, he looked okay early on. Then he was out of the fray for a little bit. Uh, but I th- I always thought this was a bit of an overreaction because, as you well know, lots of um, new players who come to the Premier League now, it's quite um, it's quite common to see them out of the side for a little bit, get used to the England, get used to the culture. And then slowly integrated into the team. And we've seen that with quite a few players. I mean, some at Man City, some at Liverpool. Fabinho, actually, at Liverpool is a is an obvious uh, example right. to that. Um, but, you know, he's he, he, he absolutely destroyed Burnley last week. Um, and, you know, back amongst the goals this week, he's a young player sort of fell off a little bit at the end of tw- with Dortmund, many many said, because of the Sancho rise to, rise right. to his excellence. But pff, actually, I think this is quite a good pa- comparison, actually. would you Do you think there's quite a lot of comparison between the exciting, talented, young Dortmund team and how they're going second currently in the Bundesliga right. uh, with the Gladbach top and Frank Lampard's setup at Chelsea with all the young players and him trying to find a system and a way of play that suits them best? Um, potentially. I mean, I think that it is sort of different just because one of the criticisms of Lucien Favre lately um, has been that he's not a great um, man-manager and that he yes, yes. hasn't always uh, won over the dressing room, whereas it seems to me like Lampard is the complete opposite. You know, he's got everybody on his side, even Pulisic, who uh, seems to be, you know, locked out at the start. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that that 
for me, that's the main difference. And I do think that uh, Chelsea have to be considered one of the most pleasant surprises of this season. I mean, looking back, yep. they lost you know, their best player in Eden Hazard. They had a transfer ban. Um, they had an experienced defender put in a transfer request on the final day of the transfer window. And yeah, Sideshow Bob's not doing too well. Yeah, across and they're, <laughs> they're third, currently two points behind the defending champions. Um, they're probably playing the best football in, in my humble opinion. They're they're playing the best football in England, and wow. they're um, they're they're doing it with plenty of academy stars and just you know young talents. So I think that mm. you have to give a lot of credit. And not only that. A lot of players who didn't look that convincing under previous managers, um, such as Jorginho or Kovacic, look completely reinvented. So I think that's definitely one thing um, that gives that gives Lampard the edge. And even the fact that some players, such as uh, Tammy Abraham and Kurt Zuma, who were completely overlooked under Sari, are now yeah. completely reinvented under Lampard. Yeah, I mean the comparison really with Dortmund. It wasn't necessarily between Favre and Lampard, of course. Of course, um, with Lampard, his his man management is uh, is excellent. We we saw it at Derby. He seems like a really likable guy. Whenever I see him in his interviews, he seems like someone who knows exactly what's going on. He's very articulate, very very intelligent man. And obviously, he's not quite the same at Borussia Dortmund. More more the comparison, I guess, was with. Um, the emphasis on young players, the emphasis on playing football in, a, in an attractive way, being competitive. Um, and that's something Dortmund have done year on year. Maybe not quite got, you know, the, the upper hand on Bayern Munich. Well, they haven't. Yeah. But they've always been there and thereabouts in terms of uh, being, you know, showing showing that level of, of excellent football, show, um, competing in Europe, having... Um, you know, having an emphasis on on, on the young talents and with with Marco Royce and, and, and such thrown in there as well. Now they've got Hummels, um, and I suppose that was kind of the way I was looking at it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I do think they have uh, Chelsea have been uh, like like we say a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, and I I half I think we both expected them to maybe maybe have have some bumps in the. I think they still will have some bumps in the road because there's a lot of inexperience. There still is a lot of inexperience there. Um, I think actually last year with Dortmund, just to, just to make the comparison, I suppose they were playing some unbelievable football, went to play Tottenham Hotspur in the Champions League. They were absolutely mauled, weren't they? Um, I think uh, three, three nil at Wembley. And, the, and this was a Dortmund team that were just irresistible uh, in, domestically. Um, but um, I guess, I guess you know the, the, so far the signs have been so good, and and you you really have to you you can't help but like Lampard. You can't help but like what's going on there. Like you say, some of the players, uh, Jorginho seems to be revitalised as well. Uh, Mason Mount doing so well. Hudson Odoi's not even getting in the side, and you know obviously there was a whole issue with, with, about that last season with Sarri. I mean, just to make the quick comparison with with Lampard and Sarri, I mean. This isn't saying that Sarri was necessarily a bad manager, is it? I mean, I always thought that if if the Sarri Bull project was going to work, he needed a lot of he needed time to to sort of implement it completely and get his players com- completely molded into that into that style and philosophy. A bit like Guardiola at City, who had his sort of foundation year and then 
they, they built off that. Uh, he needed some serious financial investment, again, like Guardiola at City, because to play a Sarri kind of way, you need elite players in, in, in most positions uh, or, or in every position, really, or, or specialists, particularly at, at fullback. Um, and he always demanded that his players adapted to him or, you know, they they leave or they get sold and they replaced, as I say, by people who could, uh, who could adapt to that style. But obviously when the transfer ban comes in, you, you, you're in a bit of a crossroads because, you know, you can't, obviously you've had that time to integrate players into your, into your philosophy, into your team that one season, but then you're stuck with a dilemma. Oh, well, we can't bring players in to positions probably left back and, and right back maybe who weren't you know who didn't necessarily live up to Sarri's ideas so then he's got another season without the players that he feels he can push his philosophy through with I mean you know the, 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 it, it seems hard particularly with the Chelsea fan base who are now going to be lauding Lampard and saying you know he's a, he's a genius and he is, he's doing really well but they're both really you know top managers just with different outlooks and different and, and, and such, aren't they? They suit different scenarios better, but they're still very, both very good, uh, both very good managers. Definitely, definitely. Hmm. I mean, Sarri himself's doing a fantastic job with the events at the moment. I mean, you are, are, you know, he's taking over the champions of a country, so you can you can argue that 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 you know he certainly has the players to do that, but still unbeaten, you know, in uh, in Syria, and uh, you know, doing doing very well. Um, but yeah, I think we we can both agree that, as we say, Lampard coming into a, a situation where the, where he has to adapt to what he has. Really, Sarri's not used to that. Sarri wants them to adapt to what he can offer. So I think in that in that respect, you know, the the, the change was needed. It was a ballsy change, I guess, because you know it could tarnish a club legend. But so far, so far doing very well. Um, I guess I'll come I'll come to you now, Zach. Actually, with with, with um with the Arsenal situation. I mean, because I was listening to what you were saying a little bit on the Breaking the Lines podcast. Obviously, Shaka, the Granite Shaka issue, comes off not happy, getting lots of abuse, so he has a right not to be happy. And of course, he said in, on social media, he, he, he it was an emotional response on social media as well, where he's saying how upset he was with the situation. Wasn't in the team at all today uh, against Wolves. He was on the bench, didn't come on. Uh, no, it wasn't on the bench. It was it was, it was out of the squad. Sorry, it was out of the squad, so it wasn't involved. Um, so, I mean, is that the best way to deal with the situation? Is that the best way? Because, in my mind, in my mind, I'd say, you know, he's, he's given that emotional response. I'd maybe have him on the bench and bring him on, you know, because the longer this goes on, the more exile they become. Surely from the fans, surely from the team. The, the, the problem manifests longer, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think he will. I at least I hope he starts on uh, against against Vitoria in midweek. Uh, mm. We shall see about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think perhaps the right thing to do is ease him back in, but but definitely don't let this fester on for too long. I mean, really. What what's what's been said, what's needed to be said has has been said, and frankly, uh, Arsenal fans are not exactly innocent in this. I mean, I, I don't blame Jaka at all for the way he reacted, and so for me, um, 
it just it, all of this really shows a lack of leadership to me from Unai Emery. Because the fact is, he made him, he made Jaka his captain, and yet he's not going to back him. He's going to instead have the yeah. squad decide, exactly. which just makes no sense to me. Um, and I think that. Uh, I mean, we're reaching a point where we can say that Unai Emery has lost the Arsenal dressing room. So yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I, I think that you you've got to bring him back. You can't just freeze him out. Okay, I mean, sell him next summer, do whatever you want. But the fact is, he's in your team, and you can't just uh, you can't just lock him out of the first team picture. You know. No, definitely. I I would definitely play him uh, over in the next week, if not against Vitoria, then Leicester, which obviously will be a tough. Test, but, oh, and yeah. So, but <laughs> the fact is, I mean, you know, looking at looking at Arsenal's performance today, uh, could could you really tell me that they would have done much worse with Jaka in for their midfielders? No. I mean, I mean. I, I, you know, see that's that's the thing about this whole scenario. It's that Arsenal fans too often they try to scapegoat Jaka when you know mm. he, he really isn't um, the biggest problem in this team. And yeah. and frankly, he's you know he's a decent player. There's a reason he's been a starter for so long. Maybe he's not what they need. But he isn't a bad player by any stretch. So, and and as we saw today, you know, taking him out of the team is not a cure all. I mean, Wolves could have easily won today, um, and that was, you know, this was without Jaka. So, I think you've got to put him back in. Uh, you know, perhaps sell him in the summer or sell him in January. You know, whatever you want to do, you can't just freeze him out because that's not going to uh, do any favors for the squad who seem to actually like Jaka, unlike the fans. Um, it's not going to do any favors for Emery, who clearly has a role for Jaka in his in his team, and it's not going to do any favors for Jaka um, or the teams who may want to buy him in the coming months. No, well, I mean, Özil's been restored. Özil was restored to the team this week after his little exile. Uh, from the squad, and it, and it's like I, you know, I've been I've been watching a few people comment on this, and it's true that because of the three hundred and fifty thousand pounds that Arsenal gave him for his new contract, it puts this sort of him on this on the in this area where he must be delivering eight, nine out of ten performances every single week. He must be running every blade of grass. He must be contributing. Must be passing, making the key pass. He must be dictating the play that's almost what Unai Emery I think wants because the 350,000 a week that he's on is surely well it has it's restricted Arsenal in terms of what they can offer other players Aaron Ramsey left on a free transfer probably because Arsenal couldn't sanction his his wage demands because um of the of the whole Ozil situation and obviously by the end when when Ramsey was leaving I think a lot of people were saying hang on actually I wish we hadn't given Ozil all that money. I wish we'd put it towards Ramsey. So obviously there's that issue. But, you know, there's only obviously Unai Emery, I think, has issues with his with Ozil's work rate. But he, play, he seemed to play quite well yesterday, getting involved. Uh, he's certainly someone who can unlock a door. And I think, as you've said with your uh, tweets about when I think he set up with three defensive midfielders at Old Trafford, you know, that's not going to create, you, you know, 
opportunities for the likes of Aubameyang, Pepe and Lacazette. So really, I think <laughs> obviously it doesn't give Ozil a free pass in terms of he can just drop five and five and six out of tens and, and let the game go by. But against teams like Wolves and some of the some of the other teams, maybe outside the top six, no disrespect to Wolves, they're a very good side. But they do they do sometimes defend with a deep block. They are, they do go into a back five when they're defending. You need people like Ozil to be on the pitch, don't you? Yeah, you do. Although it does really seem counterintuitive when you start Ozil and not Pepe. Yes, I did, I did not understand. I mean, Pepe's been Pepe started a bit. You saw flashes, and you were thinking maybe it's quite a lot of money what's been spent. But obviously, if you watched him in France, you'd see that he's a very good player. Give him time, and then he scored two absolute belting free kicks again in the Europa League uh, for Arsenal. And I think over the past few weeks or so, even he's missed a few chances here and there, but his overall performance has been pretty good. I think um, you know, and you, you certainly see the potential there. And like you say. <laughs> to ha- you have Urz- you bring Ozil into the fray, then put Pepe on the bench, and he doesn't even come on. He doesn't even come on at all, and I found that baffling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just baffling, honestly. Especially when you're putting on Saka instead of Pepe. I mean, really makes yeah. no sense. Mm. I mean, I mean, there, I mean, in a, in a way, you sometimes you, you look and you think, oh, I do feel a bit sorry for Unai Emery can't buy a win, but at the same time, like you say, these tactical decisions, these selection decisions, they they don't help his cause. And I mean, Wolves aren't an easy team. From what I saw, it was a really good game actually yesterday because there were chances for Arsenal to win it. But again, like you say, Wolves could have won as well. Leno had a really good game um, in goal for in goal for Arsenal. Um, but you know, I, when I was at the start of the season, when you look at Arsenal's players and, and they signed David Luiz, had a bit of experience to defence. Not okay, it's not been amazing, but he passes the ball out well. He can, he, he's good for their style of play, I guess. Kieran Tierney at left back can't really judge. He's just come into it after an injury. Pepe, uh, really exciting, uh, wide player, scores goals. Uh, Ceballos, really exciting young midfielder, can you know create things. When you look at all that and put that together, that's a team that should be getting into the top four for me, hands down. You know, I mean, I look at Chelsea. You looked at Chelsea and you thought Hazardless can't bring anyone in. You know, they're they're probably going to fall short, but they probably won't do it at this moment in time. I mean, I I actually thought Leicester at the time could make top four, and now it looks like they're going to. But I thought, you know what, they probably won't. They'll probably just miss out because Arsenal look at this really, you know, really exciting team they've got. You thought defensively, maybe they let one or two in, but they can get four, four, three or four goals a game. They've got so much attacking, you know, ability out there. But is that another issue with Emery, I guess, that he's got so much attacking ability out there, but he's always been quite a cautious manager throughout his whole career. He's always been quite, you know, uh, they take a lead and then they, they hold on to that lead, supposed to gain another and again another. You know, it, does he hold? Does he have the? Does he have the brakes on too much? This Arsenal team does. Is he a bit scared to really unleash all those attacking talents? Is he? Is he a bit too cautious? That's definitely one of the issues. Um, yeah, and I think that's also part of why it's been so easy for a lot of um, a lot of opposing teams to come back when they're down against Arsenal. I mean, we saw it today against Wolves. We saw it in midweek against um against Arsenal we saw it um a week ago against Crystal Palace you know this team just doesn't really i i guess strike fear uh that's the phrase in in 
the eyes of an opposing coach. And I do think that's partially because uh, Emery is just so conservative tactically that he really only has one uh, way to play his game. So if you're an opposition manager, I mean, you're not going to be really, I guess, threatened by um, the possibility of Arsenal... I don't know, changing up their style and and perhaps adding another goal to the deficit. You know, you're going to go all out for it. So I definitely do think that's one of the main uh, issues with Emery. The fact that he's just so, I don't know, uh, conservative, um, perhaps just too, I guess, uh, one-dimensional. Yeah. That's definitely one of the reasons why. I mean, Arsenal, they have the squad to be finishing top four. I mean, I think that if you compared the two squads on paper between Arsenal and Chelsea at the start of the season, you would have gone, you would have said Arsenal's was much better. I mean, looking at a a guy like Aubameyang, consistent golden boot winner, uh, Lacazette, 50 million pound signing. Nicolas Pepe, a seventy, you know, two million pound signing, uh, and even David Luiz, who who launched a, a deadline day transfer request. I mean, Arsenal on paper, they seem to have a better squad than Chelsea, and it's really down to the coaches who can manage that talent and who can who can improve the players. And I think what we're seeing here is just Emery is really such a, a limited manager, both as a, a man manager in terms of, you know, handling the egos and making the team click on all cylinders, as well as just finding the right tactical setup that suits all the players and just, you know, improving each player. I, I definitely think that um, the, cr- the criticisms of him are valid, especially when you look at what other managers such as Chris Wilder and Frank Lampard are doing. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, if I'm Arsenal, I would not give Emery another season at the club. Uh, no, I, I, I completely agree with everything you've said. But for me, last season, actually, is a, is a sort of foundation year, is a, is a, is a first year uh, into the project, I thought I thought he'd done quite well. You know, I thought he they were they were certainly uh, very much in the top four race. Okay, it tailored off a bit towards the end. You could argue because they were also having their eggs in the Europa League basket. They thought they maybe could win that, but there were times I thought where they where they performed really well. I thought they were very good in the North London derby at the Emirates, where I think they beat Tottenham four two. I think. Um, and they had some very good moments. I think they went on an unbeaten uh, streak at the start of the season. No, just after the start of the season, sorry. Uh, and it lasted until until some point in December. Um, and they, they were on this really good run of form. They had moments where I thought, I mean, I think they beat Fulham 5-2. And uh, Aaron Ramsey scored an unbe- finished off an unbelievable uh, team passage of play uh, there. And against Leicester as well, there was another goal from... Ooh, I'm trying to think now. Um, I think it may have been Lacazette or Aubameyang. 
but it was it was it was simply brilliant. Um, Ozil was heavily involved in that. They were passing through the lines, lots of movement, lots of energy. So there have been moments, I think, where they've do, where they've actually looked really good. Uh, they've looked really impressive. But then there's been, but but like we say, then there's been moments where you're just looking and thinking, okay, you can play like this. You can open, you know, good teams up. You can play this lovely football. And then the next week, they 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 just. They they just don't do that. Their focus seem too heavily focused on on the defensive structure, which does it, which is counterintuitive because it just makes, as you say, it easier for teams to come back against them and, and, and find ways through. Because again, they're not they set up in this structure, but they've not got good defenders. They've not got good defensive players who can who can you know uh, justify that kind of structure because you know they they don't. So I, I guess I guess my question to you is. Even that, you know, that first season I thought was quite solid. You know, in many in many aspects, there were some there were some deficiencies, but it was quite solid. How this this season's been a step backwards so far, hasn't it, uh, for Emery? Because I don't know what did you what did you make of his first season? Did you agree? Do you think it was quite a solid start for something to build upon, or were you not convinced then either? Um, I think it was definitely better than this season, but I wasn't that convinced, honestly. Um, I actually said. At the end of May, I think right around, right after the Europa League final, I said that they should sack him. Just basically, I I thought that the way they collapsed at the end of the season, um, there was a string of games. I think uh, Crystal Palace was one of them uh, where they just really threw away a seemingly easy... uh, advantage that looked to have uh, sealed them cha- top four and Champions League football. And so... Mustafi inspired. Yeah, you can't, cool. you can't yeah. just attribute uh, that collapse in, to just Mustafi. I mean, it's it's so much more. Um, and just the, f- the fact is, I mean, if, if one of my reasons for saying that is was because... Well, tactically, like looking at the performances, they really didn't look that much better from the Wenger team of uh, of the previous year. And just looking at uh, you know that that team, that team had Aubameyang, Lacazette, Aaron Ramsey. It had you know new signings in in the likes of uh, Torreira. Um, and Gwen Doozy and I'm forgetting someone. Uh, Socrates. So if if he couldn't if he couldn't get top four and Champions League football with that, and if if he couldn't even get win win the Europa League final against the Chelsea team that had already sealed Champions League football, I mean, for me. Emery was brought in to be a stabilizer in the short in the short term, mm. Um, mm. and he just he hasn't done that yet. So I, I, I guess my argument last season though was the signings I thought that were made when he first came I thought were quite underwhelming. I mean, Gwen Doozy was still very young. I think to be fair to Emery, he's done well with yeah. Gwen Doozy. I mean, he's, he seems to have developed a lot um, since since he's since he's come to Arsenal. Certainly from the start, he looks like a very uh, very exciting midfielder. I'm sure he will, he will go from strength to strength. Uh, Torreira, I thought, was a good signing. I thought Socrates was a bit like a sort of B grade 
you know, centre back. He's a bit rough, and you know, he's rough. He's tough. He's not, you know, he wasn't. He, he wasn't exactly a grade A Bundesliga centre back material. He was sort of the second, third rate centre back. Probably had his best years with Dortmund earlier, a few seasons ago, and I wasn't too convinced with with that as, as a sign. It felt like a cheap you know, £20 million, that's quite good value in today's market, kind of a centre-back. I thought that the squad he had last year, I didn't think it was amazing, or maybe as good as maybe you thought it was. I thought defensively it was not great. I thought midfield, I mean, Gwendouzi at the time was still had just come in. I didn't think he was, well, he wasn't proven. And I and, and there was still, you know, Emery did well to to coach him into the into the midfielder that he's currently playing as, um, and then obviously in attack, I think I think it was you know heavily built on a um, Aubameyang Lacazette, and I think you know maybe uh, again Ozil was in and out last season, but it was heavily built on those two front strikers. I think this season with Pepe giving a bit more of a dimension with Ceballos supposedly, I know it's sort of coming in for Ramsey, uh, hopefully, so that sort of kind of like for like not probably not really as good but then they've, they've sort of they've reinforced left back with Tierney I, I do think this season this should be pushing on really and getting that fourth but again so again that's why I I'd be a bit concerned like you obviously you were more concerned at the, at the end of last season probably rightly so probably I was um, still thinking about the squad's deficiencies more than what the squad actually did have available to it uh, which is certain which was certainly a lot of goals they reinforced that in the summer so yeah I mean uh, he's got to he's got to prove some critics wrong prove some doubters wrong if he's going to stay in this job and get Arsenal into the top four stiff competition from Leicester um, and just a word on Sheffield United yesterday as well they absolutely trounced Burnley my team absolutely trounced but I tell you now like you, you touched on it Zach you mentioned Chris Wilder being a manager that sets his team up in a really in a really good way he gets his players you know in a, in, a, in a three at the back slash five at the back system, the players are playing multiple positions. So the centre backs maraud forward into wing, wing, winger territory, wing back territory. They overlap the, the the wing backs, and then while they do that, the central midfielders move into centre in the, to the centre back position, and they all love it. They're like Duracell batteries. All the players they just don't stop moving all the time. So uh, all, always want the ball, always want to move comfortable in two or three positions on the field because they have to be that's how Wilder want, what wants them to be and you know he's doing a fantastic job isn't he such a good job yeah fantastic job from uh Chris Wilder and the Sheffield boys I mean can't really say much about it um that hasn't already been said but yeah fantastic perform fantastic um season from them so far uh one, yeah, I mean, a few players who've impressed me have been uh, Dean Henderson, um, John Lundstrom, defense. I mean, really, yeah. it's 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 sort of hard to pull out individuals because it's all been such a, a mean, team effort. Yeah, looking at the wing backs, Baldick and Stevens, um, looking at their shifting attacking options, and yeah, I mean, uh, Oliver Norwood definitely been a key. In that midfield, um, overall, yeah. he was excellent yeah. yesterday. I mean, it's definitely, it should definitely give um, a lot of people some pause. I think that this season in general has been uh, sort of a redemption year for English managers. Almost, I mean, we've seen mm. 
you know, the storylines that English managers, they're, you know, tactically outdated and that they're getting, um, you know, pushed out of the picture by foreign managers. This, this season, actually, I think the, the managers who've impressed me the most um, have been English managers. You know, Chris Wilder, Frank Lampard, um, Brendan Rodgers is Northern Irish, but he's... Yes, yeah, so I was going to say British. British would yeah, be a nice British, one to use. Yeah. Um, even like Eddie Howe, Graham Potter, um, Hodgson done a very good job considering the fact that Palace barely signed anybody and uh, didn't even replace Juan de Saka. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you even Burnley are still um, fairly well. I mean, <laughs> well. You know, mid table, mm. I guess, could be doing better. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been somewhat of a redemption year. And, and even, you know, Aston Villa, um, Steen Smith, Smith, yeah. So, mm. yeah, I mean, Chris Wilder, I think he should definitely be um, in the running in in the running for uh, manager of the year. I mean, if Liverpool win it, then it'll probably be Klopp. But I mm. do think that um, just the way that he's, you know, Sheffield plays some very good football. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, despite being written off, I mean, I think that, I, I think that really what this team is doing is it's pretty impressive and um and yeah, I mean I, I really can't um I, I can't praise the the this brand of football enough. I mean you expect a team like Sheffield United, you know, not even really considered a normal heavyweight in the whole uh promotion from the championship picture, you know. They're not exactly the first team, you know, you'd think Oh, Derby, Norwich, West Brom, even QPR, so on and so on for those teams. Sheffield United, um, been a while since they've been in the Premier League, and yet it's they're they're not just uh surviving, they're thriving. Oh yeah. I mean what yeah, for sure. One of the things actually that I like about Wilder, maybe maybe it wouldn't work at some of the bigger teams, so there's this kind of humility with Sheffield United, but and they've lost games this season or someone's made a mistake and instead of protecting the player in the media, he'll go for them. He'll say, no, no, they, they know they were poor or they know they should do better or that was a poor performance. And then you think you sort of think, ooh, that's, um, that's quite refreshing. Honesty, you know, a lot of managers like to protect their players and, and, and sort of and maybe calm them, stroke them down, pat them on the head and better look next time. That's kind of how I suppose you, you manage egos at some of the bigger clubs. But Chris Wilder, no, he will go... All gun ho in, in in the press, and he will say, "I, you know, I think when Dean Henderson made a mistake against Liverpool, they'll say, yeah, it was a mistake. Yeah, yeah it was a mistake.' Well, you know, I, I don't know whether how that would get on, you know, at a club bigger than Sheffield United if he was manager of one of the bigger teams. I'm not sure it would quite work in the same way. So maybe it's one of those situations. As I say with Wilder doing so well, uh, those man management stat, uh, skills have perfectly suited to a club with humility, with, with, with players that, you know, want to want to graft, want to learn, as opposed to those who want their egos to be brushed. But again, you know, really, really good job that he's doing. If he carries on, it's a, you know, it's a big if. It's a, we're only a few months into the season, still a long way to go. But as you say, Zach, if he carries on, keeps them up, playing this brand of football, then he should be in with a shout, I'm sure, of the uh, prestigious Manager of the Year award. But uh, going across uh, the leagues now, uh, there's been a quite a few, as we alluded to earlier, quite a few uh, surprises 
uh, across Europe. Um, well, I mean, you mentioned that Dijon beat uh, PSG 2-1, uh, but PSG are still seven points clear uh, despite having three league defeats this season. So I guess they shouldn't be too worried about losing their title crown just yet. Um, you've know, got, got lots of talented players, of course, uh, in Paris. Um you know, Inter with a 2-1 win over Bologna, 1-0 win for Juventus over Torino. So those two clubs still at, at the top of Serie A, are separated by a point, uh, which I think uh, that point being uh, the, the point separated them. I think Juventus beat Inter a few weeks ago. So a big win for Maurizio Sarri's men. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's sort of business as usual. I think Roma won the... Uh, Derby against Napoli 2-1, I think. Yes, I think they did. Um, so, yeah, Serie A is sort of a bit more normal, I guess, than the other leagues. So, Zach, your team, Barcelona, losing 3-1 away to Levante. Real Madrid, as we say, drawing 0-0 with Betis, so really missing the chance to leapfrog them into the top position of La Liga. Uh, it's quite funny because if Granado beat Real Sociedad, I think they go top of La Liga. So, I mean... <laughs> It, it would be lovely to see Granada go all the way uh, come the end of the season. I'm not sure that will happen. But uh, you were quite critical of Valverde in uh, your tweets uh, after watching the Barcelona game. Uh, it wasn't very good, was it? It was not. I mean, I think that this uh, this league will be won by probably either uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona. Potentially, but I don't think they have the firing power just yet. But, you know, never say never. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is just a, I mean, a frustrating performance, really. Um, could have easily won that game, and they basically threw it away in seven minutes. Um, but that that's sort of the issue with Barcelona, you know, and, and that we saw that against Liverpool. They can just switch off for a certain period of time and other teams will just, you know, take advantage. And we saw that today with Levante um, turning a 1-0 likely defeat into a 3-1 win. Um, I mean, well-deserved. And yeah, I mean, just pretty disappointing uh, from... Not just the usual suspects, but even even the likes of Messi and Frankie, who've normally done uh, very well this season. So definitely a lot of issues to work out. Um, I do think Suarez being out for three weeks, uh, or at least three weeks, that's what the report says, it will give Griezmann a chance to shine in the center forward role where he has looked better so far this season, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, we'll see that. We'll see if he can step up in that regard. But yeah, as 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 for just the uh, management of the game, I thought Valverde definitely left a lot to be desired. Um, for example, I thought that um, putting on Busquets was a bit... Um, mm. I just didn't. I, I I thought that this game was more calling out for Rakitic, and yet really only put on Busquets for politics. I mean, Rakitic mm. is basically being frozen out of the team, and it's like if if you don't want, if if you're not going to accept a transfer, then we're going to freeze you out. Which mm. I'm not sure is 
if that's the right way to treat a player who's uh, served the club so much. But yeah. it's the board's decision. Um, but yeah, overall disappointing. And there will be plenty of more, plenty more slip ups from both Barcelona and Real Madrid because the fact is. Um, both of these managers are pretty much on their last legs. You know, Valverde will probably be gone at the end of the season. Zidane, uh, the way the season's going right now, I would be surprised if he's not out at the end of the season. So it's very hard to kind of, I don't know, develop a long-term plan when you're basically a dead man walking. Mm. Um, and of course, they do have the season. They have the next few months to turn it around, but I simply just don't see it happening. So we will definitely be seeing more slip-ups from all three of Spain's top three. Um, and I do think that it may this title race may just go the distance mm. because of each of those teams' um, issues. And you know, it'll be interesting to see. Who wins? But but yeah, it does feel like this. This is the La Liga season that nobody wants to win. No, <laughs> yeah, only issues. Yeah, yeah. I'd stick. I'd stick some money on Granada because let's just let's just see how they do. I mean, that would be unbelievable. It'd be very. It'd be probably. It's probably bigger than Leicester. Well, Leicester City. Right. I mean, very early on, obviously, I doubt it will last the course of the yeah. season, but. I'm sure it's something. If you even as a Barcelona fan, if Barcelona weren't to win the league, I think you wouldn't mind Granada taking the trophy this season. But again, I think that's a long way off. But I suppose one good thing for Barcelona and uh, Valverde is that they weren't the uh, the biggest laughing stock of of the weekend. Uh, they they've been outshone in that regard by um, Kovac and Bayern Munich. Um, He's getting the Bayern Munich manager getting a lot of criticism now from uh, the Bayern Munich fans losing 5 1 to Frankfurt. Uh, Jerome Boateng sent off after nine minutes, and then they do a bit of a Southampton at home to Leicester. Uh, they yeah. just capitulate and they, you know, they fall 5 1. Uh, obviously, this was away at Frankfurt, but still, it's shocking, really, considering, you know, the German champions, so much pride, so much heritage. Uh, heritage and ability uh, season after season these are the top dogs you know you don't you don't embarrass Bayern Munich but Frankfurt certainly didn't read that script and they absolutely annihilated them and at the same time Dortmund beat Wolfsburg 3-0 to go uh, second in the division uh, Mönchengladbach doing really well actually with 22 points at the top of the table um, what's wrong with, what's wrong at Bayern Munich Zach I was I was you know I was looking they beat they beat Spurs seven two not long ago and it's not been so uh, not been such easy uh, playing sailing since. Well, I mean, you have to remember that this team has uh, encountered issues in the form of injuries. I mean, we've seen um, Lucas Hernandez go down uh, with injuries since that uh, incredible victory over Tottenham. In terms, of, in terms of everything, Zach, really, you've got to remember this Bayern Munich team are um, just so... Um, you, they're, they're, they're a team in transition, aren't they? Because, of course, obviously losing yeah. Ribery and Robin after so long, it's, it's a big part. It's been such a big integral part of Bayern Munich over 
how long past how long we've been going decade I guess um, and then obviously you've got you've got Kingsley Coma, you've got Serge Gnabry and then you've got Ivan Perisic who can sort of play and sort of go on one of the two wings you've got Philippe Coutinho of course he's coming he's actually done quite well uh, you know it, it, by most people's accounts he's done quite well uh, since he's joined Bayern Munich I suppose he couldn't do much worse than, than he did at Barcelona it really didn't work out for him there Um but I guess I guess the big thing really is is that it is that it is a team in transition and that there's still a lot of young players there and and like we say this isn't the imperious Bayern Munich team of of old. I mean they sold Hummels as well to Borussia Dortmund. I mean that that's another uh, obviously they bring Lucas Hernandez in uh, and they've got and they've got uh, other like Sula um, some other centre backs who can and Boateng that can that can fill those gaps, but. Again, this isn't that imperious team, is it? Because a lot of the stalwarts, a lot of the big names who we've associated with Bayern over the over the past decade, they've now gone really. So you're looking again at starting over, turning 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 over a new leaf. So there's a lot of change, but how much blame should go to Kovac? Because I tell you, there's a lot going to Kovac, and is that all justified? Um, yeah, I, I do think the blame is definitely justified. I mean, you have to remember the injuries to Sewell and uh, Lucas, but the fact is uh, I don't think that Kovac is getting the most out of this dressing room. He's not getting the most out of the set of individuals that he has, which uh, on paper should be good enough to win the Bundesliga. So, yeah, I I certainly think that um, both the players but also the coach – deserve some criticism. You know, Coutinho hasn't been as consistent as he could be. But he has he has shown I mean I, I suppose that comes with Bayern Munich's form, but uh his overall numbers when he first came were decent. He was chipping in with goals and assists and showing a decent level of performance, but certainly higher than what what he was showing at Barcelona. Maybe that comes with confidence and such. But I think with Coutinho one thing, one thing I noticed that when the team do well and, and, and playing with confidence, and he's allowed to be free and, and playing with freedom, I think he thrives. I think he's brilliant. But if the team's under under scrutiny or not doing as well, maybe have to dig in. Maybe Coutinho's maybe not the guy who you know is very different player, confidence player. Yeah, and I mean, I think that in many ways you could liken uh, Kovac to Valverde. The fact that Bayern. Like when when Lewandowski doesn't play well, Bayern don't play well, and they fail mm. to churn out a result. Um, so I think that yeah, I mean Bayern's dependency on Lewandowski just produced in the final third, final third is definitely telling, and that is I do th- I think that is definitely one of the reasons why Bayern have Bayern fans have sort of grown impatient with them. Just because they feel that they don't really have a plan, it's just you know give it to probably the best striker in football right now mm. and l- let him produce, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I think that um, I think Kovac could be sacked soon, but I think it might be more likely that they just wait it out and then sack him in the summer. Um, and it's it's just funny how how quickly things can change because we were at a point a few weeks ago where Bayern were top of the table and had just trounced Tottenham seven to two and were probably looking like the strongest team in the Champions League and now uh, really just terrible form 
in the past month since that win. And now Kovac is potentially a game away from losing his job. Mm, big statement. I mean, what, one thing I would say as well, I was reading uh, earlier in the week that Jose Mourinho has been learning German. And, um, you know, he's actually been linked with the Borussia Dortmund job, actually. But I was thinking if if Jose Mourinho had to go to any team in, in, in Germany, it certainly wouldn't be Dortmund. This is a, you know, this is a man who's, he wants to be in charge of the biggest teams. He wants to be in charge of the biggest players because he finds ways of of getting them to work, usually uh, getting them to win trophies. Um, Dortmund, to me, wouldn't seem like a Jose Mourinho team. In fact, seemed quite the opposite. So I certainly hope, really, with the, the way the club are run and the direction that they want to go in promoting youth players in playing uh, football, I guess, on a budget compared to Bayern Munich, uh, or at least it has been like that over the past 10, 15 years or whatever, uh, or at forever that you know this is a Dortmund team with an identity. I wouldn't want Mourinho to go there, but you know, could you see Jose Mourinho in charge of Bayern Munich? Because I could, and he just seems like a you know, he just seems like a, it could fit like a glove, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I think I think it it's definitely an option. I mean, Mourinho, I think he would only accept a job on a certain level. I mean, according to reports, he's rejected several um, jobs such as Lille, uh, Lyon, you know, sort of, I guess, B-tier clubs. So if if you're going, if if you're Mourinho, I think you consider Arsenal, Tottenham, Bayern, but below that, you know, and and maybe Dortmund, but, but, but below that, I don't think you go. I don't think you consider it. Um, no. So I can definitely see Mourinho potentially getting the job on a. I mean, you'd think that Mourinho would want to not get a a caretaker until the end of the season status. You'd want, think he'd want a two or three year contract, right? Um, mm. And Bayern at this point, they're they're reaching desperation, so. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly think it's a possibility. Yes, and I mean, uh, I I do think that this squad could potentially thrive under Mourinho. Uh, one of the yes. reasons why I I I was against it for I was against his appointment for Arsenal is the fact that there are plenty of up and coming talents yep. at Arsenal yep. as well as just. Well, the the youngsters who are coming through the Hayland Academy right now. Yes. But on the other hand, um, Bayern are are more of a club that that has established players that can play a certain way if need be, and I think that it would certainly be a better fit for Mourinho, no doubt. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, that would be interesting to see Mourinho off the Sky Sports sofa where he's actually doing quite a good job already um, <laughs> with certain with the way that he comments. I mean, I think he's a brilliant watch, uh, certainly with Roy Keane uh, and co. But uh, yeah, no, I think he, he's rightful places in management, so I'd love to see him there. Just a word actually on, on a different sport, actually, because I was, uh, it was 5pm here, which is, so it's an, at the time, so it was normal time, normal sporting time for the Rugby World Cup final. Uh, the England were playing South Africa, really a big sort of game. England don't often get to rugby World Cup finals. They don't often get to World Cup finals. Um, so it was a big, big event for us. 
uh, as England nation. And uh, yeah, it didn't quite go to plan because I what uh, I mean last week. Uh, I don't know if you saw Zach, but England beat New Zealand uh, with mm-hmm. the All Blacks in, in the rugby, and New Zealand are notoriously one of the best teams in in rugby. This is one of the best. Some people say one of the best rugby teams in history. Um, and England managed to find a result over them. So then there was this almost, oh, well, you know, you're in the final now, you beat the best team and you can beat anyone. But it just didn't quite work out. Um, and there's a big contingent of South African fans here and uh, uh, watching the game with us in one of the in one of the bars in Shenzhen. And they were, you know, uh, I think Waka Waka by Shakira came on mm-hmm. at full time. And they were just, they were just so happy and they were loving life, honestly. While the rest of the English just looked miserable and sad. But fair play, I mean, South, you know, they played, I don't know if you watched it, uh, the, the, the final, the Rugby World Cup final, but South Africa were brilliant. I mean, no, no, no actual tries were scored. It was all penalties for a long time. It was all penalties. And then eventually England sort of, they became sloppy and then, South Africans ran away with it in the end, but they were so good defensively. It was re- really def- notoriously, apparently, a really defensive team, but they did, you know, really do a job and fair play to them. So, an applause for South Africa. Well done. Uh, another final England have lost, but oh well, what can you do? <sighs> oh well. I have no idea how rugby works, but anything that makes England fans uh, disappointed and agonized is fine by me. <laughs> oh, that's awful. That is awful. I mean, we don't help ourselves with the whole Brexit situation, but that, that wasn't, that wasn't very nice. That wasn't very nice at all. I mean, your, your, your politics aren't, isn't great either. I must no, say. It's just a bit of, you know, locker room banter. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Yeah. So I'll, I'll send the heavies round after this, after the podcast is done. Uh, but yeah, no, thank Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for that, Zach. I think we had a really good, I think a really good discussion there yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, until the end. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, I will. Uh, we'll, we'll stop that there, and um, I hope you enjoyed Zach's words. I hope you could tolerate me enough uh, to listen to this all the way to the end. And uh, well, we'll see you soon. Bye, bye, everyone. Bye, bye. Ciao.